0: This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media platform designed for and by outdoorsmen. Go Wild is a place to connect with other outdoorsmen, find fishing and hunting tips and tactics, and you can even research and buy your gear. Join hundreds of thousands of other hunters, fishermen, and outdoorsmen and experience what this community is all about. Download it today at downloadgowild.com. You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast brought to you by Go Hunt and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Sign up today to become an insider at Gohunt.com. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for conservation. What's going on, everyone? Happy Thursday. Welcome back to another episode of the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. Uh, today on the podcast, I am joined by Gail Sanchez, and Gail is the owner and founder of 2% Certified Cactus Cool Creations. And Cactus Coal Creations, uh, they make uh, different types of silver uh, jewelry, uh, necklaces, rings, bracelets, earrings. Uh, all sorts of super cool stuff. Um, Gail herself uh, actually taught herself um, how to kind of uh, become a a silversmith uh, and how to uh, work with silver and uh, the creativity and a lot of the super cool things that Gail makes uh, really stem and are inspired by the work that she does as a wildlife biologist here in Michigan. Uh, Gail and I actually... <clears throat> had the chance to meet uh, during the community conservation cleanup day uh, that we had here in Michigan uh, got to meet her and her husband and talk to her a little bit and you know Uh, It was a perfect opportunity to um, talk to her about coming on the podcast. Uh, So I'm really excited that we had the chance to do that. Um, Gail has a really cool uh, background, um, you know, how she decided to um, get into and become a wildlife biologist, uh, you know, what the outdoors looked like for her growing up in New Mexico, uh, and how she ended up uh, here in Michigan as well. you know, for her, the outdoors uh, is really something special. Uh, It allows her uh, to spend a lot of time uh, with her family and with her friends, whether she's uh, with her husband uh, and their family down in Tennessee, uh, with her family out in New Mexico here in Michigan. Uh, It's just, it holds a very special place to her. So becoming 2% certified uh, for her was really um, a no brainer. Uh, So a really cool, fun episode, Um, episode 69, Gail Sanchez, uh, enjoy. Uh, Before that, I want to take a minute to tell you about our partners over at Wild Rivers Coffee. Uh, Sammy and Marshall, the good people who own Wild Rivers Coffee, um, not only do they make some awesome, badass coffee, but they are just awesome people as well and super easy Uh, to support. Uh, At Wild Rivers Coffee, they're roasting in small batches so that they can ensure that their coffee arrives to you at its peak freshness. Uh, At Wild Rivers Coffee, they're also a proud partner with 2% for Conservation. So that's why everything that they sell, a portion of the proceeds are being donated back to conservation organizations uh, that they love. So organizations like Trout Unlimited, Ducks Unlimited, uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, and Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Uh, I suggest you guys go to WildRiversCoffeeCo.com and there you can order your fresh roasted beans. Uh, They have some really cool handmade mugs. Uh, The merchandise is top-notch as well. Um, And if you subscribe today, uh, you can save 10% In that way you're going to save some money and you're never going to run out of coffee. It's a win-win situation for everyone. Um, So again, if you go to WildRiversCoffeeCo.com At checkout, if you don't want to subscribe, you can use the promo code, this is all caps, fish underscore wildlife, and you're going to save 10% off your order as well. So, again, check them out wildriverscoffeeco.com. All right, joining me today, I have the owner and founder of 2% Certified Cactus Coal Creations, Gail Sanchez. Gail, how are you?
1: I'm doing wonderfully. How are you?
0: I'm doing well, thanks. I know we talked a little bit <clears throat> before we started recording here, but I had to reschedule because of a, of a slight head cold uh, last week, uh, so I appreciate you being flexible, and I'm glad that we're able to do this.
1: Yeah, no, it's no worries. I'm glad that we were able to reschedule and make it work.
0: Yeah, so this is um, I'm excited because So you and I got to meet actually formally, um, gosh, what is it? Three weeks ago now? Two weeks ago? Yeah. Two or three weeks ago? Yeah, uh, for the Community Conservation Day. um, I had posted something about it, and you had, you know, saying, you know, if anyone in in Michigan would like to join, you know, reach out, uh, and you did. And you and your husband were able to make it. uh, So we got to meet there and and obviously found out a little bit more. You know, we got to talk a little bit throughout the morning uh, of doing the cleanup and everything, and, you know, had, you know, been able to ask, like, hey, you know, I haven't had a chance to reach out yet. Do you want to come on the podcast? You said, sure. So, here we are. I'm really excited about this.
1: So am I. Yeah, it was wonderful to meet in person.
0: Yeah, it always it always helps because a lot of the other uh, people at uh, the cleanup I'd already had on the podcast, um, so I'd already at least knew them a little bit, right? Uh, but no, it was great to meet to meet you and Luke and kind of hear a little bit about your background and, and your story. Um, so I'm I'm hoping to kind of dive a little bit more uh, into that tonight.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm excited.
0: Yeah. So first off, Gail, tell me, what is it that you do for a living?
1: So I am a wildlife biologist. I am the lead inland wildlife biologist for the Bay Mills Indian community in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So I help to manage the wildlife, uh, co-manage with the state and the feds and other tribes um, of the 1836 um, treaty. So that 1836 ceded Territory covers about the top third of the Lower Peninsula and about the right two-thirds of the upper peninsula so i co manage that entire area with the other four tribes on the treaty and with the uh, state of michigan and with the um u.s fish and wildlife service and the other other federal agencies
0: so how did you end up well first off where are you from originally gail f- i feel like this will like i know some of these answers already so i i almost forget to ask but like for our listeners let's kind of paint the picture a little bit here where are you originally from
1: yeah, no worries. So I am originally from Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I um, grew up in the Southwest. I come from a really big Hispanic family back in Albuquerque, where my dad is from. And um, our family goes way back there um, in that area. And so I grew up there. And i um, My mom is actually from Australia and they met going to um, undergrad there. And so we grew up in New Mexico and uh, that's where I went to high school and um, undergrad. I went to school at New Mexico State University in Las Cruces. So that's kind of the area that I'm originally from.
0: All right. So how did you end up working as a wildlife biologist in the UP in Michigan here? I've got to hear this story. (laughs)
1: So it is a little bit complicated. Um, I, you know, being uh, half Australian, our family really likes to travel around. I have never had any issue with um, bouncing around the country and going different places in the world. And so after I went to undergraduate, um, actually, even while I was an undergraduate, um, I did a couple of tech positions in different parts of the country. I did one in New Mexico, I did one in Idaho, the um, research education for undergraduates, which is this really great program through the National Science Foundation, and I did a project studying pygmy rabbits at the University of Idaho. And so it was actually there back in the uh, summer before my gosh, was it before my senior year of undergraduate that I actually met my husband there. And this all loops back because that's kind of the reason why I'm eventually in Michigan because uh, he was a physics intern there and I was a um, biology wildlife intern. And they housed us all in the same spot. And then I got to know him and our history kind of goes from there. But once I I graduated undergraduate, I bounced around the country. I did a uh, wolf technician position Um, in, I did one in Idaho, I did a wolf technician position with the, uh, gray, the Mexican gray wolves in Arizona and New Mexico. And, um. Then I did a couple of different positions with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, working first with neonate mule deer captures and next with black bear captures. Then I did some environmental education in Georgia where my uh, now husband was doing his master's, so I was there for a few months. And then after that, I actually got my master's in Texas. (laughs) So in South Texas, I um, I studied mule deer genetics to predict the potential spread of chronic wasting disease in Texas. Okay. And once I graduated from, um, my, from graduate school, I wanted to be in the same place as um, where my now husband was, and he was working for Ford in um, Dearborn, Michigan. And so I moved up here and started trying to find a job in this area. I had a couple of technician jobs, one with the uh, DNR at a chronic waste and disease check station, using some of that chronic waste and disease background that I had. And then I worked for Oakland Parks and Rec, um, doing some invasive species technician work um, as a um, crew lead uh, in Oakland County. And then I managed to get my full-time position where I'm now working as the lead inland wildlife biologist in the Upper Peninsula. So.
0: <laughs> that is a very I mean, it's it's an it's it's certainly an interesting story to hear, kind of like all the different stops along the way and. You know, I feel like the reason you ended up in Michigan is a lot of, is the same reason that a lot of us kind of end up in the place that we're at, you know, kind of unexpectedly, right? Like it's because of a significant other, right? Like you you fall in love and you chase a guy, you chase a girl, whatever the case is. And, and yeah, that's kind of, uh, I mean, that's kind of history, right? That's kind of the way things go, but you picked a great place to land. Uh, I mean, I'm born and raised here in Michigan and I've, I've lived in a few other places, but I certainly enjoy the the seasons in Michigan and really everything that it has to offer.
1: Yeah, it's such a beautiful place. Oh my goodness, especially the Upper Peninsula. It's just absolutely stunning the falls are to die for i mean the range of colors that you get the uh, apples in the fall cider apples everything about it is just magical and watching everything come alive in the spring after being dormant for the winter it's just a whole nother experience
0: yeah i think people tend to sleep on michigan in terms of like how how much there is to offer like an outdoor enthusiast right i mean whether you like to kayak, you like to boat, you like to hike, camp, hunt, fish, you know, whatever the case is. I mean, there's just so many opportunities to do all of these amazing things. And, you know, so many people don't even, you know, venture across the bridge and see what, you know, what the Upper Peninsula has to offer. And it's it's just it's criminal. It really is.
1: It is. I mean, it's a whole other world up there. I love that I get to travel back and forth between it because we have our house down in the lower peninsula and I work in the upper. And while COVID has kind of allowed me to do some more work from home downstate, I still do a lot of field work upstate. So I do a lot of traveling back and forth um, during the weeks and uh, I have an apartment up there and it's just, you know, it's a totally different world. The upper peninsula and the lower, I mean, the weather will be different. I mean, the, like even just like the types of trees and animals and things there's so many things that occur above the bridge that don't occur below the bridge or happen below the bridge that don't happen above it's just it's so interesting that it all occurs within the same state
0: yeah and you uh so real quick how long have you been in michigan
1: i've been in michigan it's been about um i want to say three three or four years now I think it's three three and a half yeah so it's been not a super long time but enough to start understanding how incredible it is
0: yeah so because you said something that only someone who has spent enough time in Michigan would say you called where we live downstate right so (laughs) I grew up um in northern lower Michigan so um Just east, I mean, you drive past it every week, twice a week, uh, just east of Gaylord. I grew up in a small town. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what we would always call like down, like anything almost like south of West Branch was like downstate, right? So to hear someone else call it downstate, which I haven't done in so long because I haven't lived up there in forever. That's why I had to know how long you had actually been here because you're using some, uh, some Michigan terminology there. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I feel like traveling so much between the different areas has kind of really like pushed me into that and shown me like, you know, I really have to tell people, oh, well, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, are you upstate this week? Are you downstate? Because they know the different areas that I live and work in. And so, yeah, so I've used, I started using a lot of those, that terminology, you know, you've got the youpers and the trolls and (laughs) things like that, which are always funny terminology as well. Are you above the bridge or below? And so I just, I find all that stuff really entertaining and really really, really charming.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. So what made you decide to want to become a wildlife biologist?
1: Oh, gosh. I feel like it's something that even if I didn't know the exact job that I wanted to do, it was always something that I was just so fascinated by. I mean, I grew up, I remember like on Sundays, they used to have, um, they still do, but the, the nature shows on PBS would, a new one would come out every Sunday. And so on Sunday nights, Um, my siblings and my parents and I and like as we got older mostly like my dad and I would watch those nature shows on on PBS and they're these like hour-long documentaries and I was just Oh my goodness, I was so fascinated by them. I loved everyone that came out. I just I would sit there just totally immersed in them and just each Sunday, especially like all the new ones that came out. And I and I told my parents when I was younger, I said, I want to do what they're doing on these like documentaries. I, I want to be like them. And I didn't know exactly how to get there because um, you know, up until recently, nobody else in my family has been in wildlife. My dad's a lawyer, my mom's a school teacher I've got a whole range of different um, careers within my big extended family but um, until my one of my cousins went into wildlife um, nobody had really gone that route I had an uncle who um, did he was a veterinarian and he did some wildlife vet work but it wasn't quite wildlife biologist and so when I went into undergraduate I I like, knew what I wanted to do. I just didn't know how to get there. And I was lucky enough that I happened to go to a school, in New Mexico state, which actually has a great wildlife program. I just didn't realize it. I was going in state because of, um, you know, it's affordable to go in state. Right. Um, it was just a great option. I, I ended up running for the track and cross country teams there um, and getting a scholarship that way. And so, um, you know, I, I started out as a biology degree. And I, I just thought, oh, but that's how I get there. I didn't realize there was actually a specific wildlife degree within that school okay. and a whole college for it. And one of my my undergraduate advisor um you know i was meeting with him my sophomore year and he was asking about like what i wanted to do with my degree and i was describing basically you know a wildlife major and he said you realize we have an entire major for that here why don't you go try one of the classes try a wildlife management like 101 class and see what you think and i took that and i was like this is it this is what I want to do with my life. And so I switched over and managed to get my first internship through one of those classes with the Bureau of Land Management. And it's all kind of like gone from there. And I think it was just really great happenstance.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's incredible. I mean, first off, kudos uh, as another collegiate athlete. I'm always uh, impressed. Well, not, well, yeah. First off, I'm always impressed because I know what it takes to to be a collegiate athlete, especially at a Division One level. Um, my wife is is the same. She was a Division One athlete, um, so I know the the dedication. But yeah, like you said, just what a happenstance, right? Where you you kind of know what you want to do, you don't know how to get there. You stay in state because of you know the cost of tuition and, and everything like that. But then you end up getting a scholarship, but then you find out that they have a program that's basically tailored to exactly what it is that you want to do and yeah that's uh that's very fortuitous I would say
1: it really is I feel like so many people start off sort of knowing about the wildlife um career or knowing about the major and they go to school specifically for that that are like you know tailored towards that and I just sort of you know it happened to work out and yeah it was pretty hectic in undergrad I mean what I say that I wasn't and an athlete i was a d1 athlete we did indoor track outdoor track and cross country so this was three sports all and they went all year round and i also worked 10 hours in the lab doing data entry for my advisor and then i would do um i would do technician positions during the summer so it was really hectic and busy but i just i kind of love that that's where i thrive
0: yeah yeah i don't think a lot of people realize the uh you know there's there's I, a vast majority of people participate in some type of uh, athletic event in high school. But when you get to college, especially at that level, it's just a, it's a whole nother ball of wax. I mean, the, the time commitment in and of itself is insane. And then you throw a job and classes, you know, 15 to 18 credit hours on top of that. And it's just you have no time for anything else. Um, but it's a very good uh, kind of precursor to, to life right with you know the commitments and time management and all that stuff it uh, it certainly kind of thrusts you right into it
1: it really is. I mean, we were competing almost every single weekend, so we were gone Friday, Friday through Sunday, a lot of weekends. So you'd have to work your entire school schedule around it, not, not try not to have labs on Friday, have to make up tests, take them ahead of time, take finals ahead of time. You know, worry about your traveling, do your homework on the plane, on the buses, things like that. It's just, it's this whole thing, and then find time during the week to do your weightlifting, your core exercises, all of your extra stuff. If you're doing specific events for track, you have an extra. If you're, you know, if you're working in a lab or doing something on the side, you have to do, um, you know, you have to do things on top of that. And it was kind of funny. We had one athletic advisor who she was kind of new, and she said, "All right, well, try not to take labs during your season." He said, we're three sport athletes. Our season is all year long." And I'm a (laughs) science. I I have like two labs a semester. I I can't graduate if I do that. Right. (laughs) kind of funny if people for people to wrap their head around but yeah. like you said it's it's really a great precursor for life life is busy and you have to balance things and yeah good
0: practice yes absolutely and sometimes you have to make that tough decision on you know homework and and uh and you know maybe a weightlifting session or some type of yeah like you said to not go out and, and do the things that you know 95 of the other college students are doing
1: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah it was unusual to get a weekend where we were actually home it's like oh my gosh we can we can go to a college party oh my gosh we've got time
0: Go, Rage. go. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> what did the outdoors look like to you gail growing up i mean i know you said uh your mother was a school teacher your father was an attorney um You know, but you always had this, you know, love that kind of came through, you know, a lot of these documentaries and things that you were watching. So, like, what was your experience, you know, outside of, you know, uh, the documentaries and whatnot that you that you used to watch? Yeah, I
1: actually was really lucky in that. I did get to do a lot of fishing, a lot of camping and things like that growing up. My dad was a hunter. Um, he grew up hunting with one of my uncles, so he was really big into that. He hasn't as much in the recent years, um, but he's kind of almost gotten more back into it as I've become more of a hunter. And um, and so we, we grew up getting to go fishing, getting to camp. My, my grandpa had, um, he worked really hard um, throughout his life when he was younger to be able to um, by land, he was really incredible. I mean he grew up with next to nothing and managed to what he always said is you know it's like by land that's where that's where you know the the real like um worth is, so he was able to um he picked up all kinds of tracts of like small land around New Mexico and actually got a decent sized tract of land in northeastern New Mexico where we were always able to go. Um, always able to go hunting and fishing. And it was just this incredible thing to have within our family that, um, you know, my grandpa who had um, grown up with so little, my grandparents that they had Um, brought that into our family and that we were able to do that. We would go out there and and camp and fish. And my dad was always hunting. I always remember him bringing back like pheasant and quail and duck and things like that. And it was really cool. And um, some of my cousins are big hunters. Now my uncle was a really big hunter and fisher. And so we've always kind of grown up with, you know, at Thanksgiving, there's like a turkey that somebody hunted and, um, you know, we'd have different, like uh, they have the, um, the introduced oryx in New Mexico, which are, one of the best meets. And I remember sometimes they'd get an oryx and we'd all come over and have a big like family meal and family party with that. And um, and once I got into, into graduate school, I was able to get more into hunting myself. And uh, my husband is a really big hunter. So I was able to, now I'm able to use his family's land to do that. And so I think that that introduction of hunting and fishing and camping when i was younger was just such a big thing with my my dad was really outdoorsy and my family is really big on being outside and getting to do those things and i think that my parents put a lot of effort into us being able to do that as well they would always put time aside for us to go up to my grandpa's land to be able to camp and fish and learn how to do all of that and i really value that
0: yeah, that's such a such a big thing at at an early age. You know, that exposure, uh whether, you know, even if it's just camping, right? Just you just get this appreciation for the outdoors that, you know, if if you don't have those experiences, it's hard as you get older to to really appreciate, you know, all that nature has and then, you know, like you said growing up with uh, you know, a father and an uncle who were, you know, big outdoorsmen. Um I mean, and and having the opportunity to, you know, eat all this wild game, you know, throughout, you know, your childhood and it being like a very big like family event, like the appreciation that you gain, maybe you don't quite realize it at the time when you're young, but as you get older and especially, you know, the career path that you took, uh, you know, it's just, it's amazing. It's almost like things kind of come full circle, you know, with, Kind of taking from the land and and living off the land to some degree and then now trying to protect a lot of, you know, the animals and things, you know, different species that are on the land now. I mean, it's just it's very cool to see, you know, how, you know, your whole journey really kind of took shape. Yeah, it
1: really is incredible. I mean, I feel like they enabled me to have some appreciation for the land from a young age. I mean, even still, when, when we go visit home, we were able to visit my parents um, a month or two ago. And when we're with them, you know, they want to go hiking with us and they want to be outside and things like that. And we love it. we we'll go out as a family. We take, you know, we take anybody who's, who's home, my siblings and the dogs and things, and we all go out for a big hike and everything like that. And, um, being a runner growing up, my mom and I are always going out for runs in the foothills of the mountains and things like that. And I just, I absolutely adore it. I think it's just sort of been ingrained from an early age that you know, if we if we have extra time, we want to be outside.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a very good way to look at it. So, having been in Michigan now for you know three to four years, how different. Or what do you see as like the biggest differences, I guess, between, you know, recreating, so let's say hunting or fishing, camping, you know, hiking, whatever the case is in New Mexico, as opposed to now here in Michigan, aside from the obvious terrain features.
1: Yeah, it's definitely really different here in, in a lot of ways where, of course, you have the terrain difference where you're more of a sort of like mountain high desert type mm-hmm. of setting, whereas here we've got a lot more forest and areas like that. There's, for recreation-wise, there's a lot more water here. <laughs> so Things like boating and and rafting on rivers and things is much more available than it is for really me back home. You know, you have some level of that, but it's much more limited. Um, you know, it's definitely easier to get access to, to rivers sometimes yeah. here. Um, but New Mexico really does have an incredible... Incredible expanse of public land there is a huge portion of the state that is public land and there's so much availability for hunting and fishing and all of that and hiking and things there that I just find really amazing and um, I think in some other states, it was a big difference when I was in Texas where a lot of it is private land. And Mm -hmm. that was definitely, you you know, it can be a lot harder where if you don't know somebody with an area of private land, you're much more limited where you can hunt. And so I do appreciate that here in Michigan, you know, there are those areas of public land as well, that you're still able to go out and do all this hiking and and able to do hunting around and um, able to fish. And I really, I really love that. And, you know, I do see a big appreciation appreciation in both states for the outdoors where people want to be outside and where people want to be hiking and boating and doing all of those different things, even if they're not hunters or fishers themselves. I think that there's a pretty big appreciation for it, especially when you go up to the Upper Peninsula. I mean, the people who are up there, they kind of want to be away from the bigger crowds. They want to be they want to be close to the forest and every and all the animals out there and so it's you know it's it's pretty cool to see that it's it's a neat place to be where everybody you know they all they're all kind of like the same mindset where you know they came up there to sort of be off sometimes more alone sometimes more among the the forest and the ecosystem around them so that's it's really neat to see
0: yeah i think i heard this somewhere and i don't know how true it is but they said No matter where you're at in Michigan, you're never more than seven miles from a body of fresh water, maybe?
1: I believe it. Oh my gosh, the amount of water here just blows my little desert kid mind. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like when, you know, uh, we get the monsoon seasons in the late summer back home in New Mexico where you get rain pretty regularly in the afternoons most days. There are these really intense rains, uh, thunderstorms. But here you'll get it where it reads, day after day after day <laughs> yep. and stop and you're just like it's still going and <laughs> you know the rivers are, are full all year round and yeah. the lakes are the same level they're always like really really full so it's it's a very different thing whereas um, back in the in the high desert and in the desert of New Mexico and Arizona and the southwest you'll have these really big fluctuations in the in the rivers and the lakes that so you have to keep an eye on especially with some of your fishing you don't want to uh, heat stress the fish there's there's restrictions on that kind of thing. Um, you know, sometimes if you're looking to hunt, you can almost use the water sources instead of having to use something like um an area with like a bait pile or something like that, you know, back in New Mexico, the animals are gonna come to the water. That's yeah. much more a limited resource.
0: Yeah. As you were just talking about like the rain, and I mean, we're for those listening, we're recording in the evening here, and I can hear thunder outside right now because it started to rain uh earlier this evening i was like i hope it's just not this crazy storm while we're trying to record because that the mic's gonna pick up everything and i'm gonna be able to hear it but i just heard a low a low rumble of thunder outside so i'm sure that any minute here it's gonna start coming down again
1: yeah i can hear it outside my window too it's definitely been coming down we were chopping up an enormous watermelon earlier and it started just like goring around
0: yeah us. <laughs> so yeah i want to shift gears a little bit here and obviously talk about your business, Cactus Coal Creations. So first off, for for our listeners, tell us what exactly it is.
1: So Cactus Coal Creations is a business that I created. Um, It's been Just a couple years now. Back right, uh, like late 2019, um, I created it, and I create um, silver jewelry, and it's all wildlife-based and outdoor-based with the themes. I really sort of base it off of my work as a wildlife biologist and different animals that I might encounter, others encounter, and um, you know, I really sort of started out with I wanted to try some silversmithing. I've got a couple of cousins who do a little bit of it, and I really found it incredibly fascinating. I've always had this urge to do art, but I'm not very good at drawing. I'm not very good at (laughs) painting, things like that. And so silversmithing was just this way that I could be really creative and expressive um, and, like, really use that creative urge and it started off just doing you know a few small pieces and i i did it was all self taught which was a huge learning curve because you know pretty soon after i started doing it everything shut down for covid so i couldn't really take any classes i you know it was all sort of like self taught off of youtube and seeing what other people did on instagram and figuring it out by myself and you know trial and error and it was it was a big learning curve but i feel like i i finally started to really get a handle on it and uh, um, So I create a lot of different jewelry, um, you know, earrings, necklaces, bracelets, um, all kinds of things like that. And um, some of them are really based on my work. Like I've created these ear cuffs that are, that look like um, little bird bands, like Mm -hmm. that you band dove and ducks and things with, and those are super popular with biologists because everybody's like, oh my gosh, it's a, it's a bird band. And some people have actually, I let people do custom numbers and some people have based them off of, you know, birds that they have banded and things Wow. like dating meaningful to them and things like that. So that's been really, really fun. And um, I started making some some little um, earrings that look like uh, small mammal ear tags and things like that. So some of them are really based off of my work, and other ones are just sort of generally generally wildlife themes. Like, you know, they'll have animals in them. They'll have outdoors themes to them. And, um, you know, and I, as I did more and more of that, Um, I started, you know, creating this Instagram account with it. And I started connecting to other wildlife biologists on there. And the more that I did that, the more that it turned into a lot of you know, really early career biologists reaching out and asking questions because I found that a lot of people like me, you know, they might not have grown up around other wildlife biologists. Maybe their parents weren't wildlife biologists. Like some people are lucky enough to have and they don't really know where to go with things. Like maybe they're about to do their first technician position and they're, trying to ask, you know, what do I bring? Like what clothes <laughs> do I wear? What, what, what do I expect? Uh, what are questions that, you know, I'm going to get asked in an interview or, you know, what should I look for in a grad school advisor? And I just kept getting all these questions from all these really eager early career biologists, undergrads, and even some high schoolers who were interested in the career and even some people who were out of undergrad and trying to get a, a full-time job. And the more that I connected with people and um, did more of that, I just, I wanted to do more outreach because 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 I felt like I was so lucky in that my life went down this track that worked out really well and I happened to be a school where you know I had all these resources and things and not everybody's lucky enough to have that and a lot of these resources for people are you either have to kind of cobble them together yourself or you have to kind of like try to find the answers around and um, I think that a lot of people um, you know really felt like I was somebody they could ask these questions to and I was I, I try to answer them as much as I can I'm always open to early career biologist, I want to be somebody that they can turn to and ask these questions of, you know, be able to um, kind of create this connectivity between people. And so I, I started off, you know, I, I started doing more and more and more of that on my page, really doing more of the education and outreach. I created a guide for early career biologists. It's also on my website that I I actually asked questions of a lot of other biologists when I was creating that. And a lot of other biologists that I know that I've met on over Instagram, they helped answer a lot of these questions. And so I just like pieced together this huge guide that I'm always c- constantly updating to help out that answer a lot of those same questions that I'm getting. So now when somebody comes to me and is sort of trying to ask these these same questions, I can give them an entire guide that right. says, look here's like, here's like all these different resources you can go to, here's these basic questions that have the answers connected to them, all these different things that have come, not just from me, but from other biologists too. And, um, you know, it's something that like, I wish I had had when I was starting out. And so if I can help out other undergraduates and other early career biologists in that way, I, I want to do that. And so all the resources that I have on there are free, you know, I want these things to be available.
0: Yeah, no, that is, that's a great thing that you've done and, and wanting to, you know, essentially like spread, spread the wealth, spread the knowledge of what you've been able to learn and experience throughout your career with someone who was, you know, likely in the same position that you were however many years ago when you were an undergrad or, you know, you just started graduate school, your first internship, whatever the case is, and It's amazing. I mean, this is like the good part of social media, right, that you hear about where, you know, people are reaching out because they're genuinely interested in, in, you know, whatever it is that maybe you're, you know, talking about on your page or anything like that. And then, you know, actually developing uh, some type of, you know, a good rapport or a friendship um, and having a good open dialogue and a back and forth and not like attacking people, and it's it's people helping people, and that's just it's something that I feel like gets lost a lot with social media, just in this kind of day and age, and the negativity that seems to be everywhere. Um, to come across like your page, uh, I obviously I came across it when Two Percent announced that you guys had become certified, and you are you're just like the most positive person that I have seen on there, and it's it's such a breath of fresh air every day
1: i love it i mean it has enabled me to make connections with so many other biologists that i would have never really i probably wouldn't have even met half of these people or especially with how shut down things have been recently i haven't had a chance to go to conferences and i haven't had a chance to do all of these things and i have made genuine friendships with other biologists on there i have met other biologists who are also artists and everyone just wants to promote everybody else's work they want to encourage everybody i do um every monday i do an ask a biologist monday where i ask a question and other biologists answer it and you know some weeks are are more popular than others but i try to save all those answers on my website for later to not only you know give answers other than just mine from different points of view but also to create those connections, because I've had so many other biologists tell me, like, you know, I have met other biologists through Ask a Biologist Monday, because they'll see somebody else in their area, or see somebody else who's studying the same thing as them, or even just another biologist that they they want to follow, and they'll, they'll follow those people, they'll reach out to them, they'll meet them through that, and that's just, that is, like, the best part to me, the fact that people have been able to make connections through my page is, you know, more than I could have ever hoped for. That's, that's what I want to do. I want to create those connections. I want to create that sense of community. And I've been able to find other pages like mine that do the same thing. And everyone is just so incredible. I mean, it really is a community on there. There's, there is a lot of, expression of, um, you know, how negative, uh, social media can be, but it can be incredibly positive too. The people that I have met on there are just amazing and they want to help one another. They want to offer those resources.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's the one thing I love about your, your Instagram handle is like maybe in the morning or one day it's you know this pair of earrings or it's a necklace and the next day it's you doing a reel of i i I mean there's just so many examples i can't even pick one like i just i think the last the most recent one i just saw really before we hopped on was like when two biologists like recognize each other from somewhere and there's like you've got like the old western music playing and then it's just like oh hey like good luck good luck you know
1: Yeah, I really, I I have so much fun with the reels. You know, I think that they have become pretty popular recently. They are something that Instagram is cropping up and through TikTok and all of that. Um, but they're also a way for you to sort of show the real side of things to show like, you know, I am a professional, but I make mistakes and we all do. There's, there's parts of it that are funny and there's parts of it that are awkward and there's parts of it that are confusing and those really short little videos and even like your stories and your posts can be a chance for you to show that you're a real person and that people within the field even if they have a master's or a phd or 30 years of experience they run into the same things as you they're going to run into the same challenges they're going to have the same moments of confusion and that's okay it's all right to to have imposter syndrome. It's all right to have all these different things going on. We're all real people. And I think it's so important for those early career biologists to realize that. And for even, even older biologists to realize like, it's okay that things aren't always perfect in your job.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, based on our couple hours that we got to spend, uh, during that cleanup, I mean, what you see is what you get, right? Like the, the very happy, the very outgoing, like personality that you have on, on your videos and whatnot, like that's, that's exactly what you were when I met you. That's exactly how you are during this conversation. So I like, I don't feel like you're just getting like the good, like you're getting you're getting Gail 100 percent.
1: Yeah, and I do try to at times post things as well when there's hard days when there's challenges you know there's things that affect your job outside of just directly within your job you know you have losses you have grief you have mental health problems you have family things that happen and even positives within your life maybe people like somebody has a new kid somebody gets married you move there's things that happen and all of these affect your job and I feel like we need to be more open and honest about that and letting people know that it's, it's okay these things come in and some Sometimes you have choices to face within your job and it's all right to make one choice over another. It's all you and your career and what you want to do with it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Very, very well put. So like back onto the jewelry. So silversmithing, you know, I was looking at some of the, the pieces on your website and the detail that is in some of this is so intricate. Like, I mean, you have like little wolves or things like that on like rings or earrings. I'm like, how on earth do you make something so small on something that's already small? So I mean, kind of walk me through that process. What does that look like, you know, creating one of the, one of the different pieces of jewelry?
1: Yeah. So keep in mind that I'm all self-taught. So a lot of this is kind of me figuring it out. So it might not be how every silversmith does it. It might not be how a more experienced silversmith does it or somebody who's more uh, traditionally taught. So um, a lot of what I do, I really like saw work. So um, a lot of these really tiny shapes are actually hand cut out with saws and really tiny little saw blades. So you get different thicknesses of silver, You can get really thin stuff and pretty thick, and you actually use a really small saw blade to hand cut out each one of these little figures. So you can take an outline and hand cut them out. You can take, um, you can take all kinds of different smaller tools to create texture on it after the fact or while you're doing it and layer the silver one on top of another. So, you know, not every piece works out. I have times when I cut out these tiny shapes and I spend forever putting them together and either I melt something or it just kind of (laughs) all falls apart and it's not coming together how I thought it was because I've kind of tried to create this from something in my head, some idea that I've come up with. And so a lot of it is, you know, I, I start I usually start with um, either an animal um, or sort of an idea of an ecosystem. A lot of times I like to go with the animal itself. There's so many fascinating species. And sometimes I'll even ask my followers on Instagram, you know, what animals do you want to see featured? I want to show a whole variety of animals. And I have about 100 million Ideas swirling around in my head all the time, so I'm usually throwing these things onto a PowerPoint, trying to keep them in my head. And um, you know, I have, I probably have like 15 different projects going on right now with my silver smithing because I start one and I jump to another and I jump to another, and then I I try to do some custom still. So I usually have one of those going on in the background. And um, so you know, I'm usually starting with um, an animal, and I try to sort of build the piece around that. I say, you know, do I want to do earrings or a necklace? I try to match a stone to it a lot of times okay. and um, that's a lot of fun because sometimes you can sort of match the stone to the theme of the animal, you know, sometimes the color of the animal, sometimes the sort of ecosystem you might see it in, like maybe you have a bear and you want forest type colors, or maybe you want more brown colors, like a brown bear, or maybe you see a shape that fits really well with the shape of an animal, like a swooping bird and the shape of the stone goes really well with it. Or maybe you even have a custom because I'll still try to do customs at times. And maybe I have somebody I've got, one I'm working on right now, where a woman, works with African wild dogs. And she's, she's said, you know, I don't really see a lot of African wild dog pieces. It's really hard to find them. And so I'm creating a cuff with African wild dogs on it uh, specifically for her as a custom. So I love doing the big cuffs. They're really complicated and they're pretty expensive to do, but they are tons of fun because it gives me a chance to do a bunch of detail work in there.
0: Yeah. So. (laughs) So how long does it take? So let's just not maybe like uh, the big cuff uh, custom piece that you're working on, but like um, let's just say like a pair of earrings. You know, what is what does the time frame look like, you know, from, you know, the time you have uh, kind of the initial concept idea in your head to when it's actually, in your opinion, completed?
1: It can depend on the type of earrings that I'm doing. Um, if it's sort of like a dangling pair of earrings with um, some sort of shape around it above or below or alongside or Below. Um, they're usually at least a few hours um depending on the piece. If it has a stone, you have to set the stone. If it has a number of little small pieces, you have to hand cut out each one of those. And I'm working around my work schedule too. I do these things in the evenings and on the weekends. So it tends to be I do a little bit one night and then I put that aside and I do a little bit the next night, or maybe I have have some you know a few hours on the weekend i can work on a few pieces so i'm usually kind of doing the first steps for a number of pieces at once like i'll, I'll try to do a lot of stud earrings and so i'll cut out all the shapes for those for a couple of hours and then i'll come back to them the next day and i'll put all the backings on them and clean them all up and so even the studs can take if i really sat down and just did a pair of small simple studs i could probably do a pair in Less than an hour at this point from cutting out to soldering to cleaning it up and having it ready to go. But those bigger pieces, um, like those pendants at times, those can take a few hours definitely. And you know, I'm I'm drawing things out. I am. I'm uh, setting stones, I am doing texture, things like that. So each piece is probably at least a couple hours of work even for a small piece, um, if not more. And so, and I usually, like I said, I have a few of these going on at once um, and I'll usually kind of do the steps um, with them. Like I'll usually sit down and say, you know, today I'm soldering. So today I am sitting down and doing all of the actual work, melting everything together. Or today I'm cutting and I, I spent like three hours just cutting out tiny shapes and it's really soothing. <laughs> so so probably, you know, they, they each take at least a few hours of work and some of those larger pieces can be, uh, you know, they can be an entire day of work. I can sit there for hours just working on one one piece.
0: Yeah. And I you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong here, but I would imagine that every piece, even if it's essentially supposed to be the same, like there's just little imperfections and things like that you know the the stone may be a little bit different color that makes literally every single piece that you make unique which i think is is really really cool
1: Oh, yeah. Even the pieces where I'm cutting out the same shape, since I'm hand cutting those out, they're all going to be slightly different because the tiny turns that I take with the saw, the little bits of shape, the the finishing work that I do with little files and things like that, or the texture, they're all going to be a little bit different. And I don't often make the same pieces. I've got a few staples that I'll remake, but even those will have small differences to them. Like even if I'm making quail studs and I've done quail studs a number of times, they're all going to be a little bit different because, um, you know, I It's like you hand cut them. Sometimes you make small little changes in the shape, even even a pair of earrings, like they'll look a little bit different from one another.
0: Okay, so obviously, Gail, uh, you, uh, Cactus Bowl Creations is 2% certified. So tell me, how was it that you learned about 2% for Conservation?
1: I had seen it mentioned on another um, couple of businesses that I'd seen around, and on some hunting pages as well. I try I follow a whole variety of different pages of other biologists, of businesses, of hunters, and things like that. Um, environmentalists, just a whole variety of different people on my page. I try to you know see as many different viewpoints as I can, and share as many as I can. And so I'd seen it mentioned on a couple businesses, kind of in passing, and then I. I Got really interested in it. I'd seen it on one page. And I was like, "What is this? What is two percent for conservation?" And you know, and I as I started looking into it, I, I, it just really fully aligned with with my ideals i mean i had already started doing before um before i became part of two percent which does you know the one percent um of our time and one percent of the um profits that we make i I was actually already donating um i i try to donate um five percent of my profits every month to a Conservation themed nonprofit. Okay. And so I was actually already doing that. I was donating a portion of my profits each month to conservation, to wildlife, to ecosystem themed nonprofits. And so I saw, you know, and I saw two percent. I was like, you know, this is exactly what I'm trying to do. It just gave it some sort of form. Like, you know, I want to spend my time giving back to conservation, even outside of my job.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're, you're in a, a a rare circumstance where your your nine to five is essentially in the conservation field, and everything after that is conservation related as well. So you might be, well, yeah, maybe maybe the second person I've had that is um, kind of fully immersed in the conservation world. I think uh, another guest I had on was a uh, I think she was a wildlife biologist as well, but she's she. Just, we recorded an episode just before she went to Sweden, Norway, somewhere over there to study, uh, was it reindeer? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. For like two years, she's going to be over there, I think. So, uh, yeah, very, very cool that you wanted to, you know, you were already doing it and then basically just kind of, I guess, making it official, right? So that... That people who, who wanted to support you and your business, you know, knew the types of things that you were supporting as well.
1: Yeah, and people who supported my business, you know, a lot of people, they're looking for brands that represent their views. And so if they can see my brand and see, all right, you know, this brand supports conservation, this brand supports um, wildlife and the outdoors. And if they can use the 2% and see that that's something that I'm a part of, they can find other brands that do the same thing. And they can use their money to support conservation while getting all these really cool products as well. Just everything that they're buying is going back in some sense to support conservation and to support the environment. And I think that that's really incredible.
0: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And that's what I, I love about 2% as well is, is once you kind of, go down the rabbit hole and and look to see like all these different organizations that are two percent certified i mean you could do all of your christmas shopping with two percent brands you could probably do like half of your grocery shopping with two percent brands i mean it's incredible you know the the variety of different companies that are two percent certified i mean anywhere from jewelry makers like yourself i mean there's a, a piano repair company there are real estate agents obviously there's there's a plethora of you know brands that kind of operate directly in the outdoor space. Um, you know, there's PR firms. I mean, there's just the list goes on and on. And it's, it's dog treats. Uh, I mean, there's so many people out there that love wildlife for their own reason and want to give back um, for their own reason and have their own story as to how they got there. And it's it's all so cool. And that's you know, that's the fav- My favorite part about you know this podcast is is hearing everyone's stories um, like. You know, it's it's just incredible.
1: I love it. I love being able to look at the map on their website and think, you know, if I go visit this place, here's a 2% business that I can hit up. You know, if I want to go get ice cream in this place, there's a 2% certified ice <laughs> cream And I can go there and, you know, not only make a connection with the person, but then also know that like, you know, I'm getting delicious ice cream or I'm getting to, yeah, maybe I'm buying a home and want a real estate agent, things like that. Or maybe I want to go on a hunt and, you know, a guide that's 2% certified. There's just so many things where you can just kind of make those connections like all across the country. I think they even have some outside of the country now as well. And I just think that's incredible. I mean, it's just such a great resource and it's such a great movement and, you know, the the people who created it are just so genuine. Yeah. It's just from the get-go, I you know, from the first talk I with with um, some of the people running it, I was just like, you know, I'm I'm sold. They care. They really do. They they this is their their passion, this is their mission, and it matches up with my passion and my mission so well.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> uh I mean I've had Jared Frazier, the executive director, on of two percent, a few different times, a few different episodes, and yeah, the passion and everything that he has for conservation—I mean, it's it is unmatched. I mean, he's just always like so upbeat, so positive, and he's he's the exact person that needs to be running an organization like Two Percent that that is so inclusive with it. You know, they don't care about anything else as long as you want to make that commitment to wildlife, and that's that's such a a rare thing. I feel like to be able to just all come around, all come together and focus on one common goal and one common task and, and everyone, you know, being on board with that.
1: Yeah, I just, I love it. I think that it's so uh, reassuring to see in the world and something that, you know, we can all support and knowing that it's going towards something. So, so great.
0: Yeah. So what are some of the organizations uh, that you're working with or that you're giving back to?
1: Let's see. Um, I just gave back. Actually, today I did my donation for August. So actually what I like to do is um, usually right before the end of the month or right after, I actually have my followers uh, nominate. uh, conservation-themed nonprofits. Nice. So I actually kind of even take it back to my followers, take it back and keep people engaged because there's so many nonprofits that I would have never known about, that I wouldn't have ever like thought to look up or thought to uh, look into or ever really uh, known about at all without people bringing them to me. So I like to do it that way. You know, the people who are purchasing my jewelry are the people whose money is going into this and I want them to be able to have some say in it and um, you know these are people that all really care about conservation as well and so for them to be able to nominate it I think it's just really incredible and some of them are organizations that I know some of them are ones that I've never heard of and it's really cool because every month I'll get a number of nominations and I can go look up all these nonprofits and learn about them myself even for my own donations aside from my business or you know my own time and um, I just I love that and then everybody gets to vote on it. Um, I, I always do a poll on my Instagram and whichever one gets voted for um, that's where the donations the 5% of my profits go for the month. So this month um, I just donated today to the Wind River Bear Institute okay. which is this really cool organization. They actually developed Bear Spray. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I I had no idea. And so somebody had nominated this, this nonprofit and their, their, their nonprofit is all about creating these non-lethal ways to, um, to prevent, To prevent problems with bears between uh, humans and bears these conflicts and so um so they do all kinds of different stuff they build bear spray they work with um, canine trainers they work with all these different ways to basically discourage bears from getting into trouble and to protect people when they get in those situations and to protect the bears so it's just amazing they do all this research they have all these canine handlers they work with all these different groups and companies and things to be able to develop all these different methods to um, protect bears and to um, protect both bears and people to be able to live together and keep the populations healthy and all of these different things and I just I had never heard about this this nonprofit and um, one of my followers had another biologist nominated them and as soon as I was looking into them I was just like wow this This nonprofit is incredible. I really hope that they get voted for this month, and if they don't, I'm donating to them (laughs) because, yeah. And so, yeah, they actually ended up winning. Um, They were a super popular one, and everybody was really – really passionate about them and there were so many people that i you know had messaged me like about them saying wow that's a really cool organization that you just they developed bear spray and everybody's like wow and yeah. you know it's all these things that you're getting to learn about in the process and um let's see i've i've uh had another couple organizations there's a few different organizations that um train dogs to be able to uh they find all kinds of different stuff for biologists And so you can train, uh, you can do scat-finding dogs um, that find animal poop so that you can do studies on animals. You can get genetics from those. You can look at diet. And so these dogs are specifically trained to find certain things. There are dogs that are trained to find bats. So they'll go on wind farms and find bat carcasses and be able to look at mortality rates. There are dogs that are trained to find turtles. They can help scientists to um, locate different turtle species. And there's a number of different organizations that train these dogs and have handled that travel around the country and are used by different scientific studies to be able to put these dogs to use so that you can do uh, more effective studies because um, you know I've done studies where uh, we are looking for wolf scat and it's a really involved process and it takes a lot of driving roads and you don't always see every every scat and it's a lot of hiking and it's a lot of work and when you bring a dog into the mix It's so much easier because not only do they know how to identify that specific species, but they'll sometimes they'll find scat that you didn't even know you were looking for. And sometimes it can be hard to tell the exact species. And if those dogs are trained on that scent, they will only alert for a specific species. Okay. it's it's incredible i mean so that's that's another organization i've donated to a couple of those and um there's a few others that have been nominated um that i'm hoping are um are in the coming months because people can re-nominate until they win and so there's another one um There's, I think, the Acres Land Trust is here in Michigan, in lower Michigan, and it's a um, nonprofit that's working on um, basically purchasing land um, to put it back into the public hands.
0: Okay.
1: uh, that can be used for trails and recreation and hunting and fishing and things like that. It's this really cool organization, and they they take care of land as well. There's all sorts of different organizations like that, and there's some around. Um, I've had Canadian um, nonprofits that have been nominated, some international nonprofits that have been nominated. So it's it really varies month to month. There's been some... Uh, let me think. There was the Friends of Bosque del Apache was one that was nominated this month. And um, that one was a great one that hit home for me because the Bosque del Apache is back in New Mexico. I used to go there growing up, and it's a an area that a lot of migratory birds come through. Um, since water is so scarce uh, within some areas of the southwest, um, there's these areas where the birds will stop over on migration, and you'll get... Just thousands of birds stopping over in this area um, to uh, on their on their trips south for the winter. So the Bosque del Apache Wildlife Refuge is um, maintained and upheld by this um, this group helps the um, helps the state to uh, take care of this land and take care of the refuge. And they're called the Friends of the Bosque del Apache.
0: Okay, so. someone someone was tugging at the heartstrings with that nomination
1: yeah they really were. I was like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, so it's been cool I've gotten to meet some uh some people who are currently some biologists who are currently working back in New Mexico that were from other places around the country and now they're back in New Mexico, and so I've been able to make that connection with them and you know see things back from home and hear about the um studies going on there.
0: yeah, no, that's super cool that you're involving your followers and your customers in that decision because you know, people want to to be involved, right? I mean, it's one thing for uh, for a customer to, you know, purchase a piece of your jewelry because, you know, they like the jewelry and they believe in what you stand for in terms of conservation and giving back. But it almost, I mean, it takes it really one step further when now they're being, you know, almost asked or pulled, like you said, you know, where should I, you know, what organization, what type of, of nonprofit should I donate this money back to? What What is near and dear to you other than just, you know, you you, you enjoy conservation or giving back to conservation, but like I really want to hear from you and what you're passionate about, and 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 it allows not only a lot of these maybe smaller organizations to to, to benefit from your donations, but it allows you just to to learn about all these other organizations that a lot of people probably don't know about and are that are doing some you know tremendous work.
1: Yeah, and it really does kind of um, give them a platform, too. You know, um, a lot of my followers can see these different organizations because even if they don't get the donation for that month, people are now aware of them. And maybe they know about these different nonprofits that they didn't before and they can make their own donations. They can um, spread the word about those. And I think it's just just another way to really spread the, um, you know, the knowledge of these nonprofits around even further.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. So Gail, before I let you go here, I just have to know, obviously we are, we are, it doesn't feel like it quite yet, but in my opinion, once Labor Day comes and goes, like we are into fall, right? Like, so we're, we're ready to go. Do you have any uh, big hunts or trips or anything like that planned for this fall that you're really looking forward to?
1: So we just did our Labor Day Dove Hunt, which is one of my favorites because it's dove hunts are so fun. They're just, they're so social. They are just a big group thing. And, you know, even if you're all spread around a really large field or something like that, you're all, it's it's a hunt where you can be a lot louder and more vocal yeah. and more excited. You know, it includes a lot of younger kids start hunting that way um, because it's, you know, you get more chances. There are tons of birds flying over. If you miss one, it's okay. You have You have more coming and you're able to sort of Um, you know teach younger kids about it you're able to be developed as a starting hunter you know I even though my dad and my uncles hunted when I was younger I was I was pretty busy when I was younger and I didn't always have a chance to go out and really get into hunting until I was older so getting to go dove hunting um, later after graduate school and even after that with my now husband and then my dad and my brother's getting to come along it was a way for me to really get into hunting because um you know I think it's sometimes easier for people to start on these smaller species to start on these more numerous species yeah. to have more chances and if it's a hunt where you don't always have to be as you know sitting for as long quiet for as long you can you can shout you can cheer for people when they get their first bird you can celebrate yeah. it all together barbecue after those are that is probably my favorite hunt I mean I love a deer hunt but the dove hunt is just it's such a group activity that you just get to celebrate with the other hunters you get to you know laugh with each other you get to you know just just try to find your bird in the woods that you lost and you're all tromping through the woods and everybody is laughing about it and it's just a good time the little kids are are running around with their little pop guns you know practicing for the future and having a good time and being our bird dog sometimes along with the bird dogs yeah so, so they you know it's it's just a great experience i think it's a great way to to really get people involved because people, a lot of time, I think, I think that hunting can be something that can be really hard for people to get into. Right. you know, And it can be sort of intimidating if you think about like, oh, well, it's hunting a deer. Like that's a really, you know, for a lot of people, I think it can be this sort of big step to take to get into hunting a larger animal and, and a hunt that you have to sometimes sit there for days and days before you see anything. Right. Whereas you can start with a, you know, an animal where you see a lot of them at once. You have a lot of chances, even if you miss 15 times if you finally get that one bird successful hunt for the day. And it's great. I think it's just such a great entrance hunt that I, I absolutely adore it. I really enjoy that, that bird hunting and I, I enjoy the dove hunt because it's, it's, you know, you're just a big group all together having yeah. fun. But um, we usually also do, uh, usually over Thanksgiving is when my husband and I do a deer hunt. Uh, we usually go back down to his family's land in Tennessee and we go hunt white tailed deer. So that'll probably be our next hunt, probably around Thanksgiving, depending on family plans and everything this year. Sure. Things were kind of put right. off last year with um, with the shutdown and travel travel restrictions and everything. So we're hoping to get back this year to get the white tail the summer. Our fridge is getting a little a little lean. <laughs> with our we get a lot of our meat from that. I really I believe that you know hunting is a really ethical way to yeah. provide meat. Or the family and i like to rely on that for a lot of our meat so you know it was it was strange this past year not having the deer meat in the freezer and not being able to pull out that to to cook with or yeah. to make things with and having to go back to buying some more of our meat at the store was a little bit strange you know when we want on a steak we Oh gosh, we would have to go buy a steak, and you know we're just like, and it's just it's it's strange. I, I like having the meat that we've provided and the meat that you know I think has been hunted in an ethical way with fair chase and everything. So. No. Yeah, probably the deer hunt is what I'm hoping for the next one. So we'll see. We'll see what I get. I'm I'm not really uh, a trophy hunter as much as I am a meat hunter. So pretty much anything that walks past my stand, I'm probably going to shoot. Even if it's just a small doe, I'm excited about it.
0: <laughs> no, and that's all right. You should as 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 a hunter, you should shoot whatever gets you excited. And as you know, as long as it's you know excuse me, as long as it's a, a legal animal, whatever gets you excited. I have I, I, that. I mean, that's why you're out there, right? You're out there for the experience for, for the meat, hopefully. And yeah, whatever, whatever gets you excited, whatever gets you going, then you should absolutely take that animal.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it is always thrilling to get a nice size buck and everything, but um, you know, so that, that's fun. So if one of those wonders passed up, I'm not going to miss
0: <laughs> that. Very good. Well, <laughs> Gail, thank you so much for taking some time to join me uh, today. I really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoy your social media and everything like that and the positivity that you're bringing um, and look forward to talking to you in the future.
1: All right. Well, it was wonderful to talk to you too. Thank you for having
0: me on. All right. Take care, Gail. We'll talk to you again soon. You too. All
1: right. Bye.
0: All right. Well, thank you again to Gail for joining me today. I would also like to thank the partners of the podcast, Stone Glacier, Wild Rivers Coffee, and Go Hunt, as well as 2% for Conservation. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And there you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to follow 2% on social media where it's going to be only positive content so you enjoy having their conservation-focused posts in your feed. Again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Hope you liked the episode. Uh, Remember to stay safe out there and that conservation starts with you.